0: Let's do this, the Cult of Hockey Podcast by the faithful and for the faithful. I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal, and I'm here today with Bruce McCurdy. Welcome, Bruce. Hey handsome.
1: How are you doing today?
0: Good, Bruce. <laughs> this is actually I, I, I realized oh. we talked about the Howie Moran's piece of art that I have.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: here it is, but people couldn't see it because because um when you when they edit it or when it's edited automatically on All YouTube, right. they just show half. So I just wanted they're to cut, start off with kind that from so there. That's Sid Kelsey, the Edmonton folk artist, and his Holly Bruce, there's lots. Hockey's heating up again. Finally, we got some real games. We got the World Junior Tournament. We got Oiler, actual Euler news, speculation about contracts. So today we're going to talk about, uh, quickly we'll talk about um, the uh, World Junior Tournament, Euler prospects therein. Uh, we'll talk about the Ethan Bear and Ryan Nugent Hopkins contract situations. We'll talk about Oscar Klopp being out for the entire season and we'll start with just a little bit about the outdoor hockey rink situation which is blown up in the news big time because of an incident in calgary and um what are you know what are you noticing on the outdoor rinks bruce this year
1: uh, well i walk by at least one very regularly just down here in my neighborhood in uh in saint albert and uh various other ones at times and just the quality of the shinny being played is at uh, close to an elite level, at least for Shinny. And, I mean, the, the, just the skating, just, just the general skill level is just high, high, high. And uh, quickly realizing that this is, you know, um, uh, elite level or, or high-level minor hockey players that want to get out and skate and play, and and uh, they're getting their chance to do so on the outdoor ice a little bit more. So just... just uh, I can stand there and enjoy watching it for, uh, for a time as I go by and uh, sometimes even stop to watch for a bit. And uh, the level of uh, just general skill level is very high for outdoor rinks. It's interesting.
0: Like, there's these games are going on right now. And if I'm completely honest, I don't know if I understand what the rules are right now in terms of uh, outdoor hockey. I I think the latest from Hinshaw, if I'm not mistaken, is that she doesn't want it to happen at all, even outdoors. Because, Mm -hmm. and I can, you know, there is, you momentarily come close to other people. You're breathing really hard. Um, Maybe there is a theoretical risk. I don't know. You know, the Calgary incident that blew up between uh, the Calgary police and you. Ocean Wisblad is his name. He's from a famous hockey family in Calgary. Mm -hmm. You haven't seen the video. I have. It was a it was a classic case initially of people being fooled by the video. I think um, this is really common these days, where you see a short little video um, snippet of a Mm -hmm. of an incident that's you know you see five percent of the interplay between two individuals, and then you judge it on that and the you know my own take is um i i, I think if uh, if ocean weisblatt the hockey player and the police officer could have a do-over they'd both be wise to take it because mm-hmm. they both behave badly in, in my opinion i i think i think what we need to get through covid bruce is some mutual understanding and compassion and, and, and an effort to get along with each yeah. other and i didn't see that from either the police officer or from the, the hockey player in this this inc- incident. And I feel actually kind of bad for them because I think they're caught up in something that they, they're gonna suffer from this, both of them a little bit. The police officer who pulled the taser and, and threatened the, 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 the hockey player. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's an almost comical overreaction to a situation like that and then wrestling with them like if you're worried about the spread of covid actually wrestling with someone strikes me as probably the worst thing you could do so like the, the cure to the to the problem of people maybe spreading covid was you put yourself in a situation where you could easily spread covid but all that aside again to get through this we've got to treat each other with some understanding and for, for the understanding for like for players on these outdoor rinks if the police tell like even if you don't know the rules or you're fuzzy on the rules and you think it's okay if the police tell you to do something and they ask you nicely a few times and that's what the police are saying happened there that they that Mm -hmm. the bylaw officer and I think later the police asked these people to get off they gave them a warning if it was me and and someone said you'll get a ticket you're doing something that warrants a ticket but I'm going to give you a warning and you can avoid that ticket I would get off like in a second thank you officer didn't know my bad see you later won't do that again Mm -hmm. His stance, which was political, we now hear, like he's an anti-masker, you okay. know, was to not do that and to put up um delaying tactics, delaying tactics. Every other player got off that, that ice, Bruce, except for him. He was also in the wrong. And if I was I'm old enough to be his dad, I have kids that age, I would tell him, like, what were you what were you doing, you lunkhead? Get off the ice. Now, now go go pay your fine and shut and shut up. So anyway, that's my take. Yeah.
1: Yeah, the, the anti-maskers have put a whole new definition on the term in your face, and uh, uh, sometimes it's not very becoming, to say the least. I saw an incident of a guy in a bookstore. And, With your own eyes? Oh, no. Just, uh, again, a, a, Another long video video, a long video oh, okay, yeah. of a guy being extremely rude to an employee who was doing her job. Anyways, the uh, uh, to me, a situation like that, and I certainly did read about it, I just didn't watch the video, it was... The cops tell the guys, uh, "All right, we're going to we're going to take a, a drive around the block, and we're gonna come back in 15 minutes. The, the rink better be empty, and and solve it that way, as opposed to uh, in your face." As it turned out,
0: yeah. So, Remember the? Did you ever watch The Wire? There's a great scene in The Wire where they talk about this eloquent solution to a problem of people drinking on the street. Cuz cuz guys in the neighborhood would like to to have a beer, would like to go in the store and I can't remember what it was, Miller beer or something like that, and they'd have a they'd have a drink. And the police would be forced to act because they're drinking openly on the street. And the solution, the elegant solution for this was the brown paper bag. You put your beer inside a brown paper bag and you have mm-hmm. the beer and the police they don't know what it is. Suddenly, that could be a pop in there. So right. it's like, so there, there are ways to deescalate, to handle things uh, adroitly, smartly, without threatening and swearing at someone, uh, you know, with a taser. So again, she, the police officer, um, you know, and again, I feel bad in the end, mostly. There's no real, no one's, there's no harm out of this. No one's really hurt. But I do feel badly for these two individuals. It's, a, it's I think, a rough, it's a rough lesson for both of them. In terms of, you know, how to behave with a little bit more fellow feeling and compassion in a, in a stressful moment, but needing that kind of composure in that moment and not, don't be a jerk. Just don't be a jerk. So, alrighty, Any other thoughts or want to move on or?
1: Just uh, was a lose-lose scenario by everything I read. <laughs> yes. And it didn't look good on either side. So Yeah, exactly.
0: Alrighty, um, Bruce. Let's let's first deal with well. Top of mind for me is Nugent Hopkins because I just wrote about it, and I think this is a very very difficult contract negotiation. Depending on the personalities involved, some players. If you're if you have a hardcore agent and a hardcore player, <coughs> there's very little chance I think that Nugent Hopkins will sign with the Oilers unless the Oilers give a contract which I don't think is in the best interest of the team. Uh, I I think that th- this is a classic case of a player having if a player entering the who has a chance to enter the free market and not only get the usual kind of free market bump but to get kind of an extraordinary one because I think there's some team out there Bruce that's going to see Nugent-Hopkins as not Ryan Nugent-Hopkins as a player that he isn't. They are going to see him as a first-line centre who is capable of helping a winning team as a first-line centre, and they're going to be willing to pay him as that. I think that they will. there will be a team out there in that situation who will make that mistake. And I, I think we've already seen what a team does with Ryan Nugent H- Hopkins as their top centre. We saw that at Edmonton before McDavid. And it wasn't... Uh, Nugent's probably a better player, and might be for the life of the contract as a center. But I don't think he's anywhere close, honestly, to being a top-line center on a really good team, uh, the first-line center. I, and if he's signed and paid as that, and I think there's a distinct possibility, will be that I think that will be a mistake for the team signing him, obviously, and maybe for him. Because he's going to be in a situation like Kyle Turris uh, or Matt Duchesne or one of these players who have signed these huge contracts where they just they can't be that player um, that, that's expecting to happen So my take on him Is that he is a first line winger He's a first line winger in the NHL And should be paid like that And we've seen some examples Both before COVID and after COVID In, the, in Europe they call it the corona Which I think is a much more <laughs> Elegant uh, phrase for it So before and after the corona uh, Chris Kreider signed a 7 year deal For 6.5 million dollars
1: mm-hmm.
0: 28 years old After the corona, Brendan Gallagher signed in Montreal a six-year deal at $6.5 million. So there's $6.5 million is a pretty sticky number, if you ask me. I think Montreal probably overpaid on Gallagher. I think that the contracts are going to go down, generally speaking. But $6.5 million per year for Nugent Hopkins on a five- or six-year deal Mm -hmm. I think would be the sweet spot for the player and the team. Uh, But... I do honestly think if Ryan Eugene Hopkins wants to get more than that, he can get that on the open market because there will be a team that will pay him between seven and eight million dollars a year on the Mm -hmm. open market, I suspect. What's your take?
1: Uh, My take is I don't get the sense that he's a he's a mercenary that's all about the money. Uh, I don't see him as a big ego kind of guy. I I think he likes the situation where, you know, he's an important part of the team, a part part of the team. And he's, uh, you know, now that he's made the move to the wing and had success there, and and he has two brilliant superstar world-class centers that he could play with either or and excel in either situation, like, he's in a pretty good spot here. And uh, I think he he likes it here. Hmm? Yeah. Couldn't be better, like, hockey-wise, maybe? I think he likes it here. I think he's weighted... Long, long time for the team to turn it around, and and if, as I suspect, the team is a has a strong year this year, he's going to be reluctant to go to some team that sees him as being their first line center. I mean, he was the others first line center for a uh, big chunk of his early career, I and did. he had you know he had scoring uh, scoring wingers, and he was pretty good in you know as a, as a complimentary player, and he's he's very very good as a complimentary player today. Um, but as a guy that you build your your first line around, uh, I'm not sure that, uh, uh, I mean, he's very, very good. Don't get me wrong, but I don't see that as a path for some team to soar to the top, whereas where he is now. And I, I think it was a bit of a revelation on the wing that we found that his strengths as a defensive player shine through more as a winger than as a center, where a lot of the duty is a down low, grinding, you know, shoulder to shoulder from you know in the in the triangle from the you know the the, the hash marks to the uh, to the boards and end boards and, and whereas you know it's some of his skills you know overtaking guys lifting their sticks stealing the puck coming out of nowhere to intercept passes and, and uh, the wing is and, and this surprises me frankly I always saw him as a sort of a, a prototypical center with the play going through his stick a lot, but you know, he's very adaptable and that's what, that's a big part of his value to the Oilers. He could fill in for them as a center. He's great on the power play. He's very good on the penalty kill, you know, and he, he's got, uh, you know, they can use the guy in all situations, right? Goalie out for, for the Oilers, goalie out for the other team. He's, he's one of those guys you're going to find on the ice. And I'll make the comparison again. The guy that, I that, uh, whose career I find parallels his pretty fairly is Patrick Marlowe. Uh, uh, quite a number of years earlier, obviously, but um, uh, Marlowe signed a number of contracts in uh, San Jose for over 12 years that were all in the X million dollar range. And I could see Nuge, you know, if, if they can find something in that sweet spot between 6 and 7 million dollars, I think that's fair value for him. And whether they make it for three, four, five, six years, I mean that's a matter of negotiation. But uh, you know, it wouldn't be in the team's worst interest to give them, say, a three-year extension. And uh, uh, but again, that you know, anything over over in my valuation, anything over seven million, you're starting to get to the point where you're, 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 uh, your your uh, your your overall value is is. Uh, uh, you know, you're you're losing your advantage. You know, if you
0: yeah, so. especially with the the you know these contracts like a player like Rasmus Anderson, uh, who's a you know comparable to Ethan Bear, right? We'll get into this a little bit more detail right. with Bear, but Rasmus Anderson be- mm-hmm. pre Corona, uh, in January eighth, he signed a six year deal for four point five million dollars. Now that's a you know we that's see that's a Kleppbaum bomb deal, eh? We see a lot of contracts um, just before COVID hit. Mm -hmm. Jake Muzzin, four years. Jean-Gabriel Pajot, six years. Chris Kreider, seven years.
1: Zach Zach Cassian
0: four years. Marcus Peterson. (laughs) Marcus Peterson, five years. Uh, Five years, he's another defenseman in that category. Five years at four million. More recently, we've seen two pretty good comparables. Philip Myers and... um, Uh, Eric Chernak Chernak signed for three years, 2.5 million for Myers, 2.95 million for for Chernak. So the point there is the prices are going down. The interesting thing with Nuge though is I think his price can, there's a countervailing force in that he playing with McDavid and dry especially dry all year could really drive up his, his points per game and his, and his perceived value Right. By other teams, because people get paid for points mm-hmm. in the NHL. You mm-hmm. know, the interesting thing, Bruce, is for years on this podcast, you and I, I think, said the same thing. Don't trade Nuge before you try him on the wing. You know, mm-hmm. there was always talk about trading him. And we were just, you and I, I, I know I, have speaking for myself, desperate. I was desperate because I never liked him as a center, if I'm completely honest, Bruce. I didn't think in the end, for whatever reason, he just didn't get the job done defensively. He had kind of a reputation as a two-way player, but I never really saw it at center because he would lose too many puck battles around the net for grade-A scoring chances. And um, even in the corners, like, he he was there, but he wasn't on the guy. He was by the guy, but he was never on him. He wasn't Pavel Datsuk. He never developed into that kind of defensive player as a center. And I'd seen him long enough at center to think, maybe it's never going to happen um and I don't know why that that's the case, but I mean it is there's lots of big men down there battling around the net and uh maybe he's just better suited to be on the wing as a defensive player because I like he's no questions at all about him as a defensive winger he's he's right. he's exceptional he's in a, he's a strong penalty killer as well um mm-hmm. so we have seen him now on the wing. he's mm-hmm. a fantastic top line winger two-way player mm-hmm. who can play the power play penalty kill. And, uh, but so he should be paid like a, a winger like that. Um, who's not at the, the very elite of attacking wingers. He's not David Pasternak or, um, what's the guy in St. Louis, um, Ter- uh, Tara Senko.
1: Yeah.
0: But he's, he's a pretty good attacking winger and mm-hmm. you're going to, you'll, you'll be hard pressed to replace him. That said, Bruce, the Oilers signed three wingers this year, Dominic Cahoon, uh, Tyler Ennis and Jesse puglia <clears throat> All for contracts. What what was Cahun? Two was he? Uh, Nine
1: twenty five for Cahun. Oh geez. 925. Uh, one million for Ennis. One point one seven five for Pulley arby So the three of them combined are going to pull in three point one million this year. So, so there's for three players.
0: So it's risky to go that route. Nonetheless, um, if 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 Nugent Hopkins' contract demands were out of line. Holland's fallback position as well. We we Dominic Cahoon a- actually had more points per per sixty at even strength in the last two years than Ryan Nugent Hopkins did. Um, we'll maybe we'll try that and see how it works. And and if that you know if and then if Cahoon wants too much money, we'll we'll get another player because they've got a lot of players to sign in coming years. Like the you know they're going to have to sign a power play quarterback. It's going to be Bouchard or Bear or Barry, right. I think. And one of the, that player is going to be expensive, and and a, and a couple of those players. Let's say they keep two of those three players, both of those players are going to be expensive. Yamamoto is going to be expensive. Darnell Nurse is going to probably be very expensive if if they keep Darnell Nurse. So they have to be very careful throwing around, you know, even a million extra million for a player with this cap situation. And I just first, I just think as the as the as the re, fiscal reality of the NHL sinks in. Mm -hmm. um I just think the all these contracts are going to be going down and and nor and so you shouldn't probably rush I don't think into signing players because everyone's kind of got to adjust to the the new economic reality and as that sinks in people's expectations will get will, will change and get lower but it might take some time so you don't want to rush even now I think like Montreal with all these big contracts that they signed with Gallagher and to Foley and Jeff Petrie I think they overpaid on 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 all of those deals and uh, It will be like they I think they were paying old money In, new, yeah. in the new money situation
1: They had and, cap space and they used it so yeah Yeah, I mean today we saw um, uh, Eric Hola Signed for 1.75 million uh, Michael Brandon go. got pretty good money at 3.75, but I think he took a bit of a haircut And I think haircuts are going to be uh, the nature of the beast as as uh, as we go forward, and and, in just because of the you know the the somewhat shaky economic footing, not just of the NHL but of the entire economy. So you know the 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 whole thing is to me a little bit on shaky ground right now. But uh, uh, I think obviously the, the objective for the player doesn't change whether he has a contract or not. He wants to play the best that he possibly can and and raise his value to the highest possible level, whether he's trying to grab the attention of one general manager or 31 or 32, I guess. Uh, It's just a matter of, of, uh, I guess they put it on the back burner for now and they'll talk at some future point. I mean, as a fan of the player, you know, I dearly hope that they can work something out. I'm still waiting for that. Edmonton Oilers, starts, finishes, and plays all of his career in between in Edmonton. And I have higher hopes for Nuge than I've had for any player in quite some time to be that guy. Have we ever had that guy? Even uh, even for a marginal player? Well, I mean, you have guys that have short careers that only but, well, let's play Let's say here. a guy who's played 10 years in the mm. NHL. Well, Randy Gregg came really close Oh, and then at the that? end, he went to Vancouver. Uh, uh, I think they got him in the equalization draft at that time. The Oilers didn't protect him despite his five Stanley Cup pedigree. And he wound up playing. He got hurt this one year in Vancouver. Didn't play a lot of games there. But, he, you know, he did not finish his career in Edmonton. And, in fact, he did not finish his career in particularly good terms with Edmonton because of that, what happened there, as I understand it. So yeah, I don't
0: that, think he... that, was,
1: that was real close. But, you know, other guys, no, nope, they just... I've constantly moved on from guys usually in their mid mid to late 20s. The odd guy made it to 30. Not very many guys have made it much further than 30 as career or life or Oilers.
0: Bruce, um, just reading a little bit in NHL news. Apparently, if the, WA, if the junior hockey leagues don't go ahead, they can place players in the AHL um, mm-hmm. this year. I'm just reading right now. That's interesting. Uh, So we have uh, Dylan Holloway. He's going to be playing Mm -hmm. for Team Canada tonight uh, against. are they playing? Russia in an exhibition. Playing Russia tonight.
1: Depending on when you're watching this podcast, it might be last night. But yeah, yeah. coming right up. Last week, depending on how we juniors. (laughs)
0: Probably won't do another podcast till next week at some point. Mm -hmm. Who knows? Uh, And we have Philip Broberg, who's who's the captain of Team Sweden. Uh, I heard Mark Spector and Bob Stauffer speculating that if Broberg. kills it crushes it in the in the tournament and he could still make the orders from from what I've seen Bruce um he really anything's possible you, and you never know like i but I think that would be a mistake from what I've seen of uh, Broberry's game he needs to he should be in Sweden the rest of the year he's he's mm-hmm. in a very good position there. his game's trending up slowly. he's got ups and downs mistakes he, he's not an NHL player in my view right now he probably He's got a chance next year uh, to make the orders, I'd say a better chance, though, of, of playing in the AHL for another for a year and um, or half a year at least and developing mm-hmm. there. Just get used to the the North American game on the smaller ice and see how that goes before he's an NHL player. I think that's how they should view him as as a player who will play in the AHL at least half the year next year, and they'll make a decision in January on what to do with them. That should be, in my mind, the mindset with uh, Broberry heading in. What do you think?
1: Yeah, I don't disagree. He's on the bomb curve, you know, of, uh, of uh, development. bomb stayed two years in Sweden. As uh, uh, as Quinston's had it, he came over to Edmonton, uh, well, to Alberta, to play in the World Junior in uh, 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 the 2012 World Junior. He, he just played one exhibition game here in Edmonton against Team Canada, uh, just like Sweden was supposed to play Canada this time around before they repaired to the other group. Of course, this time both groups are in Edmonton, so he'll be playing here. Uh, uh, Broberry will be. And, and uh, uh, in Kleppbaum's case, he, he spent uh, most of his 20-year-old season... Playing in uh, in the AHL, he got called up, I think, at the trade deadline. He played something like 17 games at the end of that season, and then the next year he started the year down in the AHL, and he came up maybe November and he wanted to play 60 games, and only then was he a full time NHLer. Uh, and he, you know, he hasn't seen the AHL since, of course. And and I mean, that's as it should be. That's but that's the kind of development curve that's very possible for Broberg. Maybe maybe he'll be a little bit quicker because uh, Kleffbaum lost basically an entire season in Sweden to injury, which has, of course, been a bugaboo of his entire career. And he... Uh, uh, he uh, so it maybe took him a little longer to uh, adapt over here because, he, you know, he lost some ground there. But uh, to assume that Brober is going to come over and just get airlifted straight into the NHL and, and, and be a positive force... Uh, that's um, that's a stretch in my view. He's got t- to me consistency is uh, is uh, something that he needs to work hard on. Even if he comes over and kills it in the World Junior. Well, great, but that's two weeks. Uh, you know, I'd like to see him play at the top of his game for a couple months somewhere. And prove that he's ready to, you know, to, to handle that aspect of it and bring, you know, bring yeah. close to his best game on a nightly basis.
0: I'll be surprised if he doesn't have some really spectacular moments in the World Junior Championship Me too. Like he is that player. Like he, mm-hmm. I, I, think he's a better, he's got better tools than Clef Bomb. He's a better skater. Um, he's at least as big, if not bigger, and he's Both a better same. skater. Um, I think a significantly better skater because there's just few. Few people that skate as well as Philip Robey. He's just this amazingly smooth, fast skater. Um, it's it's not it's not quite the lightning bolt of McDavid, but it's close. It's close. It's uh, it's this different thing. It's it's very, you know, I don't want to say you know, I'll say it, but it's very Paul Coffey-esque. His skating. He doesn't have Coffey's shot and um, passing and offensive reading of the game, but the skating is very. It's uh, reminiscent of, of coffee, or as I've said before, Serge Savard also comes to mind. Um, that kind of incredible big man, s- graceful uh, skating stride. So, yeah. And Holloway Bruce is, um, he, I, he, this will be his second year in college. Mm-hmm. And I suspect, I, I would be surprised if it's not his last year as a college hockey player. Very possible. Um, he, we'll see how he does. I, I, he's more of an unknown to me in this tournament, how he's going to do. Again, just a really big and super fast and very aggressive uh, hockey player with some skill. And, um, yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe he wants to spend a lot of time in university, but I think that he's going to show that he, through this year, he got off to a great start to the year. Um, if he continues that trend, Continues to play like we did in the first couple of games. He, he'll be in the AHL next year as well, if not the Oilers. Uh, you know, as a young forward, um, you can stick him on the the third line, let's say, or the uh, fourth line even.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, as a winger, I, you know, I don't. It's okay to play in the AHL, but I don't think it's as necessary as for a center and a defenseman, because the the defensive reads are so much more difficult. For centers and defensemen, I just think they need that that AHL time. But if he's going to be a winger, um, he could he could be making the Oilers ch- certainly challenging for a job on the Oilers at a next training camp. But we'll we'll know a lot more about that after this tournament. We'll see how far far along that he is.
1: Yeah, I'm very much looking forward to watching him play and and uh, in a different role for Canada as a as a winger. Uh, given a shutdown responsibility from the sounds of things, a high-profile line, but kind of the second line that'll go up against the Tufts is is the theory, as I understand it. Of course, uh, a tournament like this can be very fluid. Uh, But um, in uh, university, he's been playing centre, looking good at that position, and and the fact that he can play either at this young age is a very encouraging sign. Uh, Because of his, his age... He only would have had one year of junior remaining had he come up through the junior ranks, meaning that next fall he would be in position to turn pro. So if he decides to leave university after his uh, sophomore year, he'll go straight into the pro ranks. There won't be any of this, you know, what they did with Tyler Pitlick, which was take him out of university and then put him into into junior hockey. Uh, that, there's no need for that. He can he can so he's eligible to turn pro as early as. Uh, fall 2021 whether he stays one more year I mean some ways the advantages to the Oilers that when they sign him they're going to have potentially a three-year value contract entry-level contract so the the more mature and ready he is when that contract kicks in the more value that uh, they can potentially get out of it so that's uh, the flip side but it's uh, wouldn't surprise me to see him turn pro I do think he'll need AHL time but maybe not a huge, huge amount of it. And as a, you know, as you say, with the capacity to play wing, you can you can get a start in the NHL. I mean, I remember when the Oilers called up Sean Horkoff. and uh, as it happened, I went to his first NHL game, and he was playing left wing on the fourth line. Well, eventually he moved to center on the fourth line, then he worked his way up the the depth chart, and eventually he was center of the first line. You know, what he started as a as a as a winger with, you know, a little fewer defensive responsibilities and, you know, a little little more uh, uh, offensive bent to the position, and, and it served him well. Bruce, Ethan Bear. Mm-hmm.
0: Unlike Nugent Hopkins, um, you know, so he's not signed right now. He's apparently practicing Kelowna with other players. I think the orders are better served on a one-year deal with Ethan Bear, and I mm-hmm. think that for a few reasons. Okay. The owners are auditioning for a new power play quarterback. He's in the running with, I think, um, Tyson Berry and Evan Bouchard. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, so we don't know who's going to win that job. And whoever wins that job is going to get paid. Yep. So so there's that. And you wouldn't want to pay Bear as if he was going to win that job now or with that in mind. Um, mm-hmm. Now, you could pay him now, and he might win that job, and you might get him. If you, Let's say you sign him to a three-year deal, and he wins that job. Then you, you might get him on value. But... I really do think there's going to be a deflationary trend in the NHL that mm-hmm. in the short term as it as the financial calamity of North America hits home and in terms especially in terms of you know there's not obviously not going to be many if if any fans in the in the arenas this year maybe next year they'll maybe it'll be back to normal next year but will the economy back be back to normal and no. that's a that's a big question that's a huge unknown so I just think if you wait till next summer, you'll have more information on Ethan Bear. Mm-hmm. There's some players who who do take a step back in their second year. i not. I don't expect that to happen, but you never know. And you also do have these two new competitors for the same job. Essentially, right. um, you you probably want two of the, two of three of two out of the three of them. But Tyson Berry and Evan Bouchard, and Evan Bouchard is is Tyson Berry's already been a phenomenal power player and offensive player at the NHL level. Evan Bouchard's trending in that direction. I mean, someone you, know, we, you pointed me to that uh, hockey numbers analyst. He apparently uh, helps works with some NHL teams in, on the draft. And this this fellow out of Calgary estimated that I think Bouchard had like an eighty. What was an eighty
1: nine percent eighty nine percent chance 89%. of being an
0: NHL star. I like that. I like that kind of. Not putting Uh a number on something which doesn't really warrant a number. I think it's kind of funny to do that. But his numbers, Bruce, based on Evan Bouchard's point scoring all the way along, like he really is trending to be a a top-producing, point-producing NHL defenseman. And just watching, he he certainly passes the eye test. I mean, he just passes the hell out of the puck. And his shot is phenomenal. So Ethan is competing with Evan Bouchard and Tyson Berry. Uh, One of those guys won't be here Next year Bruce Mm -hmm. Is what I would say So um, for that reason Just find out where where, where Bear Send him to the one year deal is what I would Hopefully like to see
1: And cheap uh, you mean Just sort of press the advantage that he doesn't have Our rights and Say you're you're Kevin LeBanc Take it or leave it we're going to give you a million dollars And we'll look after you next year
0: well, you don't even have to be a jerk about it in a way, no. like because I'm not. I'm not saying that's what you're suggesting, Business. but like because there's cleft bombs out there is a little bit. You don't want to use all your cap space, but you can like instead of giving him nine hundred thousand, you can give him a million one. Mm-hmm. You know, like you could you, you could give him a little bit more this year because he is a top four def- defenseman. He was last year. He was actually in the top pair. He and Nurse played the toughest competition that the Oilers faced. Yep. So. Maybe there's a there's a bit of room to be a bit more lenient, and you don't have to worry about, um, you know, just the 15% automatic raise that he'll get ne- next year on that deal because you just know he's going to get paid more anyway because he's he is a top four D man. I don't know. Uh, maybe always you got to grind as hard as you can, but I, I'm not sure that that's that's essential here because he 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 did really play well last year, and and maybe you could recognize that in some way with his pay. But um, I, I would hold off on the longer-term deal. What about you?
1: Yeah, it, it's uh, it's a conundrum for sure. Um, and these days, I mean, it used to be the bridge deals tended to be two years, and they would expire with the guy two years before unrestricted free agency. But in recent times, we've seen more and more of these three-year bridges, and we've just seen them with, uh, with Myers and Chernak that we talked about earlier. Who are pretty reasonable comparables to Bear, and you know they're not identical players by any means, uh, but they're all you know young right shot defensemen who have made significant progress over the t- time of their entry level deal signed a three year bridge where it'll come due, you know, with a year to free agency. The player potentially could force the issue then by going to arbitration for one year and becoming a free agent. Uh, I'm, I'm thinking that's less of a concern than, than I used to uh, in terms of, you know, I think paying the guy market value is uh, is not the worst idea or, you know, paying him fair value. Uh, I don't actually mind if there's a way to make it work uh, of going the three-year route uh, and somewhere in that range that uh, those two uh, Myers or Chernock contracts were. On uh, something under three million dollars, if you can get Bear at that price and get him uh, get him up for three years, you know you got a you got a good defenseman that potentially at a bargain uh, for his for his term of his of his bridge deal. Uh, I know Hart Levine of Puckpedia. He's a he's a very very smart guy about uh, all this uh, salary cap issues, and he suggests the route that the Oilers can actually afford to do that despite their current. Uh, up against the cap status, that with bomb now definitively going on long-term injured reserve for the season, that what what the orders have to do uh, to have the most flexibility during the year is find a way to get Clevibom on the on the active roster or the you know the paid roster for day one of the season, then put him on LTIR the very next day, and leave them there for the year. And then they then they have maximum flexibility for the year. And Hart's idea was they could basically go with a 20-man active roster to start the season. They could send out three guys that would ultimately be on the 23-man roster, but they don't need them for game one of the season. And create some sort of artificial cap space that way to get Kleppbaum in there. <laughs> then. On day two, Kleppbaum goes out, these three guys all come back, and they're all in the you know $1 million range, because you can only bury $1.075 million at most for for a player. So say the orders. I mean, Kari Yamamoto is one guy that they can send down, they don't have to waive him or anything, because he's still on an entry-level contract. But they could actually waive a couple of guys that they don't think anybody will claim on waivers. I mean, who would claim James Neal and his contract on waivers? So they could do a paper transaction where they wave him to the taxi squad for one day, bring him back the next day. And in the meantime, that's created enough cap space. And what Hart said was to maximize the cap space from that move, uh, you know, you actually want to, to pay the, the the player you're signing something close to that available space to, to make the most of it. So they can, you know... If they can find a sweet spot that's a figure that, that both the player and the team is comfortable with, that they can afford to make that move, then that's that's not a bad price point. And, and uh, in conversation with him, he seemed to think, you know, 2.x million was, was very doable. And it's um, uh, the other good thing. I mean, the thing about uh, opening day rosters is if you get injuries in the preseason, that can really make wreak havoc on you because all of a sudden you can't keep a 20 man roster if you got two guys hurt that are on the payroll but they don't play any exhibition games so hopefully you know they can come out of the preseason with a you know an intact roster and don't have to you know put salary on injured reserve and they can temporarily do that thing where they slice it right down to 20 and uh and restock the roster the very next day so that that's uh um Uh, It's a complicated thing, long-term injury reserve. But if you put a player on LTIR before the season starts, you have way less flexibility during the season than than you would if you you, uh, were able to keep him on that, that roster for one day.
0: I could see Bear wanting to do that. Partly because he gets long term security, right? Like he gets X yeah. million. No, no, no. You know, he hasn't made his millions yet, right? Mm-hmm. So he will make millions if he mm-hmm. if he signs Absolutely. it. So he gets that security. Plus, he as I mentioned, he's in this competition with Bouchard and Barry. If he signs the contract, well he's that gives him a leg up in terms of uh being in the in a position to to beat out one of those two other guys uh for a spot because I don't think they'll have all three. Uh they'll they'll have uh they'll they'll probably go with one you know slightly less paid than Mm -hmm. than than one of those three guys i mean i'd love to have all three of those guys for the next probably five years as your right shot demon on the oilers i don't see that happening so but you know you made a persuasive argument there bruce i think for that scenario so i could see either scenario actually the Oilers are kind of in a win-win right now because this cleft bomb situation they lose because they've lost cleft bomb obviously but It does give them the cap flexibility now to work out something different with with Ethan Bear, and they and they might be wise to do that. So uh, maybe that's what's going to happen. They just have to
1: get today too. I mean, and to me, I mean, he, uh, Evan Bouchard. Now he's he's on a value potentially value contract for three years because his contract slid last year. Yeah. So you know he's on ELC ELC.
0: That's for, right. He does have a three-year three,
1: for year three job. years. So he's you know, there's no reason to get rid of him. Uh, I think there's every possibility that Tyson Berry is a one-year rental, one and if Bouchard pr- uh, progresses the way that uh, uh, the way that uh, many think that he will and should, uh, that he's the guy that will fill that position long-term, of running the power play and being the ace number one defenseman, and he won't cost a. You know, he'll cost a fraction of the 3.75 that Barry's making this year, let alone, the, you know, the 5 or 6 or $7 million he might be looking for if he has a big year in Edmonton. So I think there's every chance the team could, could uh, you know, get a good year out of Barry, but then move on from him because I think they have an in-house replacement.
0: Bruce, uh, Oscar Kleffbaum is out for the year. His future mm-hmm. as an NHLer, I think, is at this point in doubt. Uh, it's safe to say we, there are examples of players missing full years at his age and then coming back and and being um, strong NHLers, but th- those examples are rare. Much more common is a player who gets a major injury and it's just never the same and uh, doesn't doesn't come back. So we're hope, hoping, of course, that Oscar Kleffbaum does come back. He's a when he was healthy in 2017, he was mm. trending to be a very strong a useful top-pairing defenseman in the mm-hmm. NHL. Since yeah. then, he I don't think he has consistently been that player. He's been inconsistent, and it's probably been related to his health as much as anything because, um, again, we saw a strong run of play in 2016-17 where he was really good for a long time. So he's out, and um, my argument is um, this isn't the disaster it could be because of the Oilers' depth. It's obviously not good for Oscar Klefbaum personally, but for the the organization, they finally have some defensive depth. And in Darnell Nurse, Bruce, they have a player who actually was, I think, de facto number one D-man uh, on the left side last year in terms of even strength play. Not on the power play and maybe not on the PK. I think he and Clefbaum were pretty close in sharing time on the PK.
1: Yeah,
0: I think Clefbaum was the better PK player I think Oscar really got it down last year and was exceptionally good on the, p- the penalty kill. At even strength, though, I thought Nurse was a better player than, mm-hmm. than Clefbaum last year, um, aside from the playoffs when they both were, were really bad. Wow. But so, he, so here's my five reasons why Darnell Nurse is ready to step up and will we'll, um, we'll those, fill those skates and, and I think really come into his own this year as a top-pairing defenseman. Not a number one defenseman, but as a top-pairing defenseman. So he's as ready as he'll ever be. He's 26 in February. He's played 350 NHL games. He's right in that sweet spot for a, a defenseman uh, where where he should be playing his best hockey that he'll ever play in the NHL. He's got something to prove. Uh, after last year's playoffs, he was he 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 just was very weak defensively in the playoffs. He he didn't look uh, like he was anywhere close to his A game, and it looked like like mentally he was just trying to do too much maybe. It's out of constantly out of position in the defensive zone, so he's got a lot to prove right now. And t- to the extent where after the season, Bruce, people were talking about maybe trading him. I mean, you know, Brian, it, his name came up in incredible discussions on Oilers now. For instance, Brian Burke, Brian Lawton, mentioning they're going to trade a top four D man, and Nurse was certainly in that category of players who could have been moved. Um, he's competing for a massive new contract after this season. He can he can sign again with the Oilers. And this is his big chance this year, next year, to make that mark where he he gets that huge contract. Uh, he's got the numbers. If you look at his his usage, including his time on ice shorthanded, time on ice, time on ice overtime, which I think is a great, if you want a stat about how much a coach trusts a hockey player and yeah. really values him, who does he play in overtime? When, when the game's on the line, like that's when you're going to see who you are, you're really great two-way performers that the coach really trusts. And Nurse uh, got a lot of time in overtime. Um, he, he, was, he puts up points at even strength, and he has for a couple of years now. Gets a lot of shots on net at even strength. When you look at his numbers, he's in the, he's, he is a top-pairing defenseman. When you look at all those numbers, he's a top-pairing defenseman in the NHL right now. Um, and he's already faced tough competition. He and Ethan Bear, according to Puck IQ, the, the uh, site run by Darcy McLeod. And what's the other fellow's name? G-Money. G-Money. Oilers Nerd Alert. Oilers Nerd Alert. According to those, their site, um, which is I think it's a strong site in terms of rating the competition that players face. Darnell Nurse and Ethan Bear face the toughest competition. So it's not like a situation where we've seen in the past where players have been thrust into roles they're not ready for because they've never played them before. He he is ready. He's played this role. He's just got to play it better. And I think he's going to. I think he, that playoffs, I think the playoffs, uh, I'm going to say represented a huge wake-up call for Darnell Nurse. And um, I I think he's going to step up and be that player that we think he could be. Because I know, Bruce, for the first time in the playoffs, I was seeing the player that his critics always saw. That player right. who's prone to mental errors and mistakes and is not going to get it done. I saw that, and I it, it was kind of shocking. But for me, that's I'm just going to write that off as an aberration, and go with his body of work through his career and say he's going to take the next incremental step that he's and he's been taking them all along. He's going to take one more.
1: Yeah. Well. Yeah. I mean, he's growing. He's ready. Let's put it that way. And after, after uh, you know, five years into his career, uh, where he did sign one of those two-year bridges after his uh, after his entry-level contract, and he definitely outperformed that bridge contract. I think by any sort of rational measurement, he outperformed uh, the bridge contract. Uh, argument could be made he's the number one defenseman on the team, or, or certainly number number two. Uh, you know, by ice time, by even strength ice time, number one, and he has, you know, he's been a horse on uh, even strength for some years now. Uh, by uh, goal share, he's he's had better results than uh, than the Klafbom Larson pairing has over the over recent years. Uh, you know, he he uh, he brings there's elements to his game that he brings that uh, other players on the team don't have. Like, you know, he's uh, Part-time enforcer back there on the back end—that has value, you know. Whether you like it or not, it's it's part of the uh, it's part of the makeup of a team. That you better have a few guys out there that are uh, ready to back up their teammates, and he's one of those guys. Huge uh, value, huge yeah, value. Yeah, I, I value it. Uh, you know, I mean, I've been watching hockey for going on sixty years, Dave, and it's always been part of the game. You know, the ratio of how much of it it is has changed, but it's never going to go away. I don't think, and it's so. Uh, Uh, That has value, so, you know, trading him would have just created, you know, a hole that would, you know, a multidimensional hole that would have been tough to fill. And they have um, now finally, I mean, he's getting paid like the number one defenseman on the team. He's, you know, he's number one on the payroll, so, you know, you can make that case. Uh, But uh, up until now, he's, to me, delivered value. Uh, he's got questions to answer. He's, uh, you know, he's far from a perfect player. He does make mistakes. He's a high event player. And the question is, does the good events outweigh the bad events? And I would argue on, on balance, yes, they do. I, I, but I do hope and expect he's going to make another step. And with Clefbaum out of the picture, the, uh, the team is going to rely on him more heavily than ever. This year, and the, I guess the next question is: Can he handle, you know, an additional two, three, four minutes a night of ice time, or will they have to uh, uh, fill those minutes another in, in another way?
0: Well, but will he even get more ice time, Bruce? Because really, the difference between Clefbaum's Bombs ice time and his ice time was power play time. Right. And I don't see Nurse actually filling that role. Like he might play right. somewhat more even strength, but I think actually Caleb Jones is ready to step up and play a significant amount of time at even strength. So. Nurses' ice time might not actually change that much because it could be Barry or Bear who will be taking that power play time from Clef right. bomb. So it's it's actually it's actually you know Benning played um, about fourteen minutes a game. I think it's so so actually the extra three or four minutes might go to the third pairing defenseman who's suddenly playing eighteen minutes a game, three or four of them on the power play. And that could be Barry. Uh, you know, some people think that we're going to see Barry and Nurse play together, which would be really interesting as well. And we'd see, I think, Bear and Jones would be the second pairing, which uh, which would be interesting. I guess that would leave, the problem is that leaves Russell and Larson as the uh, the third pairing and who moves the puck there. That's not going to work out. Unless, unless of course, my favorite, Theodore Lindstrom, uh, steps in and plays with Larson. Um, Bruce let's uh I've got another appointment here so we're gonna have to unfortunately I'll I'll let you have one final point if it's a short one
1: well just on nurse that when when Clefbaum got hurt two years ago and all of a sudden Darnell was playing 27 28 minutes a night and he didn't cope that well with it at that time now he's an older more mature player now and uh To play those kind of minutes, you have to be able to conserve your energy a a little bit. And that comes with wisdom and smarts and and, uh, experience. So uh, he may be better served to do that. But I would like to see him keep him below, uh, say, 25 minutes at the top end. But uh, he's going to be an important player for the Oilers this year. And uh, uh, he's, you know, he's got a lot of game, David. You know, he was in last full season, 2018-19, he was the first Oiler since... um, Steve Smith, in 1990-91, to score 30 even-strength points from the back end. Nurse was. Yeah, first guy in 28 years to score 30 even-strength points. He's a
0: very underrated attacker, Bruce. mm -hmm. And uh, So the people that don't like his game underestimate how much he contributes offensively because he's not a traditional puck mover. And they underestimate toughness, frankly. So that's typically what I see. They, I think some people have blind spots for various areas of hockey. And um, that's what I see of, of Nurse's biggest critics. I, I do think, though, that they have a point when they, when they focus in on his defensive inconsistency and, and maybe some inconsistency oh, sure. overall. That's the main criticism I would have of Nurse. And that's what he's got to address, just figuring that out. Game in, game out, shift in, shift out, making the easy play maybe uh, instead of trying for something a bit more spectacular. And uh, that might be the wise choice. So, Bruce, I will uh, let you go. This is our final podcast before Christmas, so I want to wish you a Merry Christmas. And I want to wish everyone who uh, watches this podcast and watches this on YouTube... I've said it before, I'll say it again. We have the wisest, smartest hockey fans in the world listening to this podcast. If you're listening now, you are one of them and we appreciate you and we appreciate your input. We talk to a lot of you on Twitter. So Merry Christmas to all of you as well.
1: Yeah, you know, top of the season to you, David, and, uh, and to all of our watchers and listeners. I better explain to the listeners that you were holding Howie Morenz up in front of your face when I called you handsome at the beginning of the podcast here. I was thinking later, wait a minute, somebody on SoundCloud might take that the wrong way.
0: But uh,
1: yeah, anyways, uh, uh, I do want to uh, wish the best to everyone and to say thanks for listening, everyone.
0: And in the meantime, and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast.